<laughs> I bet there is not a single child that is in this room that's excited about this, huh? So much anticipation going into uh, tomorrow, this entire season. The whole season is honestly about that, right? Anticipation. Um, either we're going to have anticipation for these like temporal things, or we're going to have anticipation for eternal things. But one of the things that we remember, especially when I look through the eyes of a child, is that that extreme excitement, anticipation that they have for tomorrow is the anticipation that we should have every day of our lives as those that are redeemed. And so this whole season being one of anticipation is so beautiful. If you're visiting with us today, my name's Tommy. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at the church, and we have been working through this Advent season, and we've looked at one particular topic through this whole season, and that's peace. The peace brought by God through Messiah. And we've gone through this now for four weeks. If we go all the way back to our first week, we talked about Mary. And we talked about the peace brought to her. And we talked about the situation that she was in. You know, for us now, we look back on these things and like we have this picture in our head, almost like a Christmas cantata, how everything was just going perfect and everything was swell. Even like, you know, our, our stables are clean whenever we think of the Christmas cantata. But we don't think about what she would have really been going through, that we're talking about a woman that was unwed and with child in a period of time that that could have cost her her life, that, that she could have literally been stoned for being pregnant and, and not being married. And we see her struggle through this, right? We see this turmoil in her life. We see her work through this and we see it all in Luke chapter one. But by the time we get to verse 38 of chapter one, we see a major shift. Scripture says this, and Mary said, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And so remember in this story, she's struggling through all of these things and a messenger of God comes to her and says, hey, this is who this baby will be. His name will be Yeshua. And, and she, uh, he talks about this, but understand that Mary's situation didn't change, did it? She was still pregnant with a child, then she wasn't married and her, her situation didn't change. But what changed? Her outlook of the situation. See, she responded in faith, didn't she? She believed the message. She understood that this was from God, even though she didn't get it. I'm sure there were still tons of questions. I can't imagine. But we see her resolve this in faith because of what she was told. And we got to the second week, and we talked about Joseph. Talk about an interesting situation. You have your betrothed wife legally together, but not really married yet, coming to you and saying, hey, I'm pregnant. And, and we think about what would have gone through his mind. Think, think about all of the things he would have thought about. He would have been confused. He would have obviously been troubled. He would have felt pain. I mean, think about the betrayal that he would have felt. And then for his wife to have the audacity to say, this is God's child. I mean, think about this, right? But then what happens? He has a dream, a messenger from the Lord comes and says, hey, this is what's going on. And him being a righteous man, you know, he had struggled to divorce her, but in this time he could have divorced her publicly and had her stoned and killed, but, but he didn't want to do that. He was going to divorce her quietly. But then in this dream, this message comes and he wakes up. And what happens in Matthew 124? It says, when he woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. 
in both of these circumstances, we see a crazy situation, one that I can't even process how I would have worked through. But in both of these, we see belief and we see response bringing these people to a position of peace, don't we? We see a major shift because of their faith. We moved on to week three and we talked about the shepherds out in the fields. And we talked a little bit about how this would have been in a time where a lot of times the poorest of the poor would have been hired to come and watch the fields at night to watch the sheep. And and there was a little bit of almost a a bad reputation, kind of a criminal element associated with these teenagers that would have been hired to come and watch the fields at night. These would not have been the people that, that folks would have looked at and said, hey, these are the best of the best. These are the worthy people. These are the ones that I aspire to be like. There was nothing about them that was special, according to man. But yet, what does God and his sovereign will do? He reveals himself to them. And we get to Luke 2, 15. And it says, when the angels went away after this proclamation of, hey, there's going to be this child born, we see them respond. And how do they respond? It says, when they went away to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. The Lord has made known to us. They respond, right? These people who would have been lowly, these people who would not have had, you know, prominence in society, The coming Messiah is revealed to them and they go and they see peace face to face. And then last week we saw our last group, we saw the Magi. These weren't even Jews. Like the other two groups were Jewish people. We see Joseph and Mary who would have been God-honoring, God-fearing people. We see the shepherds which would have been Jewish by birth but probably not practicing, probably not allowed into the temple to worship. And then we get to the Magi. These are Gentiles, But they've learned something. They've heard about this message. They've heard about this Messiah to come and that there was going to be this sign. And they were watching for this sign. They were waiting for this sign. And this sign came to them. And then we see in Matthew chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, when they saw the star, when they saw this sign, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, its mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What did they do? They came and they laid down these gifts. People who would not have been even allowed in the temple to worship. The proclamation of the coming Messiah was made and they responded. What do we learn from this? All four of these stories, we see peace available for all who will believe and who will respond. That's what's so beautiful about this message is that we have to understand that the gospel is not for a certain group. The gospel doesn't look like a certain people. The gospel doesn't sound like a certain people. The gospel is not for the haves and the have-nots are left out. The gospel isn't for the Jews and not the Gentiles. The gospel is not for this group or that group. The gospel is available for all who will respond in faith. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful picture. So now today, we're going to take a look at Isaiah 9-6. Let's read this again, and then we're going to talk about the situation that these people were in, and we're going to see what this beautiful, beautiful message has for us today. It says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." 
Now we could preach an entire series on this and we actually have at Mars Hill before it's been a while, but we could go through and we could talk about each of these names of God, uh, of the coming Messiah of the time. It looks like everything that we read in this book is going to be terrible. I mean, when you have an opening line like that, you're like, wow, this is going to be a joyous thing to read. Because you see the desperation there. You see that they've turned their back on God. You see that they're in a place of judgment. And in our minds, we start thinking of this and we're like, man, this is going to end so badly. This is going to be terrible. But the amazing thing is that in the book of Isaiah, we see these people that have ran from their God, have turned a death ear to their God. They've, they're estranged from their God, according to chapter one. But this is the exact same book that we see the most complete picture of Messiah in the entirety of the Old Testament in. It's in this book of desperation and sin and judgment that we see the virgin birth and we see the sacrificial death and we see his promise to return to his own. It's in this book that we see the beauty of Messiah who is to come. And, and, and that's so interesting to me. Whenever we look at the book of Isaiah, we may see it as a book that the theme is judgment. And if you read through it, you, you may get that. You may see that the theme is sin and condemnation, that, that, the, that the theme of the book of Isaiah is hurt and pain and anguish, but it's not. You could read that if you wanted to. But the theme of the book of Isaiah is actually found in chapter 12, just a few chapters after the verse that we read today. And what is the theme of the book of Isaiah? Look at this, Isaiah 12, 2. Behold, God is my what? I will trust and I will not be what? For the Lord God is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. The theme of the book of Isaiah is God is my salvation. That's the theme of this book. And so when we see this book, we see this time of darkness and trials and turmoil, but we also see this amazing bright light bursting through of God's provision of one to come who will save. And this seems weird to us. Why is a book that's so dark the one that we have the most complete picture of Messiah in? Here's why. Because peace has no context outside of turmoil. Peace has no context outside of turmoil. This book gives us a complete picture of judgment and wrath, right? But that's what makes the picture of peace pop off the page. That's what makes it so incredibly beautiful. And so we see chapter one, we read some of chapter one, that's this dark time, it's this time of judgment, it's this time of God's children turning their back on them, and then we see chapter 12, and we see this theme that God is my salvation, and in the middle of this is where we have chapter nine, where our passage is today. Let's read a little bit more of chapter nine, and let's see where this shift happens. Chapter nine, verse one, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Why would there be no gloom? Look at verse two. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So why would there be no gloom? Because now there's light. What light is it? You can skip down to verse six, and it says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Peace of Peace. And so why will there be hope? Why will there be joy in the midst of sorrows? It's because of a child, but it's not just any child. This is a special child, and what's different about this child, verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David, over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth forevermore, the zeal of the Lord will do this. Do you see why? Like, Look at this. You, you have this time of darkness and judgment, and then you see that there will be a great life, that there will be this child born. But this child's different because this child's reign will be eternal, and this child's reign will be characterized by peace and hope and joy and righteousness. And that's why we get to chapter 12, and we see the theme of the book is genuinely God's salvation of his people. What's happening here is that we are seeing in a time of strife and turmoil a message of hope, a message of peace. And the way to have that hope and to have that peace is exactly like we saw in our first four sermons of this series, to respond in faith. See, their situation wasn't going to change. Their situation was bleak. It was dark. But peace comes in the hope of what is to come. That's what Advent is. They were waiting on this Messiah. They were waiting for this child to be born. They were waiting for this king to be born. And that is the only place that they could have found their hope. That is the only place they could have found their peace. The situation would not change. Their outlook on the situation would change based on what you would do with the message This teaches us that there is hope in dire situations. That's that's so encouraging. That in dire situations, there is hope. And the hope is ultimately in who's in charge and who will reign forever. Our hope, no matter your circumstance, is in Christ. And that's what this teaches us. And as a matter of fact, if you look at the name Isaiah, does anybody know what the name Isaiah actually means? It actually translates, it actually means the salvation of Yahweh. So when we look at this book, the message is salvation. And and that seems so strange to us still sometimes. Is, Is why couldn't this book just be like happy and good? (laughs) Why couldn't it just be like one of these things that you smile all the way through? Here's why. Is that we know that peace is present and it matters most in the midst of turmoil. But what this also teaches us is this. The presence of judgment indicates the necessity for salvation to occur. Before we can have salvation, we must have a need for it. You will never understand that you need salvation until you understand the peril that you're in. 
If I were to hop off the stage right now and come tap somebody on the back, and those of you who know me, this isn't beyond me, but I'm not going to do it. Um, if I were to hop off the stage, go tap somebody on the back and say, I just saved you, you'd be like, you really need a nap, Tommy. Um, season done got to you. No, see, you wouldn't think you were in peril, right? But if that same person were to walk by a pool, slip in and be unable to swim, and I were to dive in and grab you and say, I got you. What's the difference in those situations? It's that you understand peril. You understand your need to be saved. You understand that you're in a situation that you can't help yourself. You understand that without intervention, you are going to die. You understand that without intervention, this is not going to go well. You can't do anything to save yourself. And so when we look at the message of the gospel, when we look at the message of Isaiah, when we look at what we're seeing in all of these stories... The reason that it's set up the way that it is is because the first step of salvation is you must understand that you are in need. You must understand that you are in a place of desperation. And if we were to look at the whole message of the gospel, and I, I made a slide of this so that you can follow along with it, but when we look at the message of the gospel, we see this. In our sinful state, we're enemies of God. But God demonstrates his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because of Christ's sacrifice, we're restored to a relationship of peace with God. This is deep abiding peace between our hearts and our creator that cannot be taken away. Because this, we are able to see the ultimate fulfillment of Christ's work as Prince of Peace. There will even be a day that there are no more sorrows. See, this is the gospel, right? But what does it start with? We are in a sinful state, enemies of God, and you must understand that you need saving. You have to understand the state that you're in, and that's what makes the book of Isaiah so beautiful, is that we see a people in desperation. We see a people under judgment. We see a people broken that have turned against their creator, that have turned against their God, and we see an offer from that God to respond and find peace in the midst of the situation. What we have to understand is that we have been given that same opportunity, that we are living that same story. We're living the story of the book of Isaiah. And we actually see this throughout the entire Bible. But I don't think it's any more on display, any more beautifully on display than in the most familiar passage in all of Scripture. John chapter 3. Let's look at this just a minute. Verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We all know that part, right? The problem is, is that often we don't keep reading. Why is verse 16 so beautiful? Let's look at 17. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Again, beautiful, beautiful verse, beautiful passage. But what makes it leap off the page is verse 18. Look at this. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is our story. 
Humanity is a condemned people. We're born into a sin nature. We're born sinners. We stand condemned already. We stand under the judgment of an almighty God, a God that we've turned our backs on, we've raised our fists to, we've rebelled against. We stand condemned already and our sentence is death. We are guilty. And it's through that lens that we see the beauty of the gospel. Because the payment that we have earned, the sin debt that we've acquired has been paid for us in Christ if our response is faith and obedience, following him. In our story of judgment, in our story of brokenness, we've been afforded the opportunity to respond to the Prince of Peace. And in the midst of our dire situation, we can have peace. That's beautiful. That's the story of the gospel. Understand that when I say peace, I'm not saying life's going to be easy. It's not. It's not going to be. Life doesn't all of a sudden become perfect when you become a Christian. Oh, I responded to Christ. Everything's great. No, you're still going to have trial. You're still going to have turmoil. You still live in a broken world. But what's the difference? Everything that you see, you're going to see through the lens of the gospel. And you're going to see that when these terrible things happen, you see evidence of a fallen world, but that pushes you to go and proclaim this message even more, that there is a God who sent his son to die for us so that we can be saved. We see the evidence of sin and death and the burden and the pain brought, but we see the hope and the peace on the other side. And so when we look at these things, we just see them different. When we approach our life and situations that we have, we're going to see it different. Why? Because of the gospel. And so though things aren't perfect, we look at it in a different way because we know who's ultimately in control and we know whose we are. And we know that we will ultimately dwell with our king in perfection forever. There's no more peace than that. All of a sudden, even death doesn't even have a hold on me because I know that the grave won't hold me. I'll be eternally with my God. You guys that know me know that this is my favorite time of the year. I think um, they didn't put me on a schedule like much in November or late October because I'm going to start saying Merry Christmas like October 31st at 8 p.m. Um, it's just my thing. Um, but man, I, I love Christmas. And you guys may remember why I shared a little bit of this last year. And those of you who know me personally know a little bit about this. I, I think the reason why is because my mama loved Christmas so much. She loved this time of the year, and, and we would look forward to it with anticipation. We would do all the things, right? We would decorate. We would cook. Um, we would be together as a family. We would do all of those things. But one of the things that she never neglected to remind me is that no matter how awesome the season is, that it's only a glimpse of the peace and the hope and the joy we have in eternity with our Savior. She never let me forget what the season was about. Now, to be honest with you, the season is completely different without her. <clears throat> As we've celebrated a couple of Christmases now without her, it's, it's not the same. But there are things that remain. I'm so thankful 
that no matter no matter my situation, that when I stop for a minute and I think about why we celebrate the birth of this child, and it, it's about hope, it's about peace, it's about joy that transcends our situations. As believers, did you know that we can live in that every single day? It's not just when the trees are up and the lights are on. It's not just when we get to see family that we haven't seen in a year. It's not just when we get to have our favorite meal at our favorite uh, cousin's house. It's not just when we get together and get to unwrap boxes and packages and all of these things. All of those things are great. But the peace that's behind the season can rest heavy in our hearts every single day. My question to you is, what have you done with that message? How will you respond to this message that Christ has come, that our Messiah has come? See, that's, that's what this is all about. I mean, think about um, if Mary or Joseph would have responded differently or the, the shepherds would have responded differently or the magi would have responded differently. And think about all of these things that go on. Uh, understand that there is a response to this message. And the interesting thing is, is that if you're sitting in this room, you're going to respond whether you want to or not. You're going to respond in faith and obedience or you're going to respond in rejection. Peace is only found in faith and obedience in Christ. Remember John chapter three, we just talked about it a while ago. Humanity already stands condemned. We're in a place of judgment. We're in a place of desperation. Will you stay there? Will you live there? Will you exist there? Will you continue on with no certainty in your life, with no real hope in your life beyond what the day can bring? Will you continue in that? Or will you experience real hope and real peace that is only found in Christ? Today, we're going to celebrate communion. Not a more appropriate response to the season as a whole, right? Today, we're going to take of the bread and we're going to take of the, the juice in our case. And we're going to remember the sacrifice, the broken body, the blood um, shed for us. Now, remember, this is only for those who are redeemed. This is only for those who are Christ followers. The Bible actually says that if you take this in an unworthy manner, that you're actually eating and drinking judgment on yourself. And so this is only for those here who are redeemed. Those of us who are redeemed, when we hear this message, our hearts should be full of joy and peace and hope. And as we take of the elements, our hearts should be full of hope, peace, joy, a, a sobriety of mind, the fact that a sacrifice would be made for us like that. But those of you in this room who do not know that, who have not responded with a bowed head and a bent knee to the Prince of Peace, the Bible says that today can be your day of salvation. That today can be the day that you confess Jesus with your lips and you believe in your heart. And the Bible doesn't say that you might be saved. It says you shall be saved. Today can be that day. So understand that if you want to know more about this message of peace, this message of hope, um, that, that we would love to talk with you about that. We've got 
elders and pastors in this room. We've got members in this room. Maybe the person who you came with or the person sitting beside you or your mom or your dad or your aunt or your uncle or spouse even that you wanna talk to about these things. There's so many people in this room that would love to talk with you about this Prince of Peace, about this most amazing message. So as the elders come to help us serve, um, we're gonna pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, you are so good. And the fact that you offered peace to a rebellious people is astounding to me. I know that often in my life, I'll reflect on things that that people have done that offended me and I get bothered by them. Lord, we as humanity raise our fists to our creator. And every time I sin, still to this day, the heartbreak that comes as a result of that, but you extend over and over and over forgiveness that is once and for all and a grace that I can't even comprehend. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody in this room that hasn't experienced that grace, that today be the day of their salvation. Or that they respond in faith to the tugging on their heart by the Holy Spirit in this room today. Lord, I pray for those of us that are redeemed that we see the joy in this message. It's so crazy to think about all of the emotions that are contained when we think about the gospel. We think about the debt that our sins uh, afforded us. We think about the fact that you sent your son to absorb that wrath on our behalf. And that's humbling, that's sobering, that's crushing. But then the joy that comes through the message that we have hope and peace when we should be a condemned people is just astounding. Lord, I pray that you help us that are redeemed to live in that, not just today and tomorrow, but every single day of our lives. That those circumstances may be difficult, though life will be hard, though we see darkness all around us. Let the gospel shine like a diamond through it all. Help our hearts be burdened to share the gospel. If we genuinely believe that humanity stands condemned already absent Christ, let our feet, our hands, and our mouths reflect that and proclaim it everywhere around us. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the hope that it brings, the peace that it brings, the joy that it brings. Lord, let the message of the gospel rest heavy on our hearts every single day. Lord, we pray this in the name of your son, our Messiah, Christ. Amen. When you've been released, you can come and take up the elements.